0: Hey this is the Jazz Violin Podcast episode 34 and today I'm chatting with Evan Price. Before I carry on and talk about my guest Evan, I'd just like to let you know that if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so via Patreon, so you can give as little as one pound or whatever a month, Uh, you can pay in pounds, dollars, euros, whatever you want, Um, it helps me out, it helps keep the podcast running, helps me carry on making it, but again, you don't have to do it, it's just all based on kindness and niceness, you don't have to, if you can't afford it. Don't worry about it, keep on listening, it's all good. Another thing that I'm doing on Patreon is I am holding weekly jazz violin practice sessions. We practice together, it's less of a workshop, more of a regular practice session. You just turn up, I give you something to practice, you do so with me on Zoom. We look at different chord sequences, we look at different ways to um, work on our bowing, different ways to get new ideas out of our improvisation it's a lot of fun check us out check it out on patreon uh, www.patreon.com forward slash matt holborn anyway today i'm chatting with the amazing violinist slash fiddler evan price he is a wonderful player he plays a lot of swing hot club stuff django reinhardt stefan Grappelli stuff he also plays a lot of different types of uh like fiddle music, American fiddle music, a little bit of Scottish fiddle music. I didn't know that until he told me in this, on this podcast. Um, he's a wonderful player, a wonderful guy. He's got a lot of amazing insights. He used to play with the Turtle Island String Quartet. So please give it up for Evan Price. to worry about it
1: yeah how are you doing you okay uh been been through better times in my life but uh, yeah
0: tell me about it when,
1: man. one day at a time yes yeah yeah um um and where are you you're in liverpool london in london okay yeah yeah I'm i was london. on on skype trying to find matt holborn's everywhere ah okay there's yeah. someone in liverpool just really you know, i've never him. met a uh, Holborn that isn't part of our family. Uh, so, that's, really, yeah, there, there are quite a few Matt Holborns on on, on Skype. Skype. You should look them up. I might do. Just start just calling them. Hey man. <laughs> hey, yeah.
0: Man. So yeah, I mean, you've been better, I imagine. You know, coronavirus. Coronavirus is is
1: really boring now. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we try to find the light where we can. You know, and we have, you know, we've we've been fortunate to have a. Kind of a weekly hangout on zoom with some friends every friday night nice. since the beginning of since uh, since march and that's been great to have that you know and it, it's sometimes the mood changes from week to week because it's, it's like sometimes we just look at each other and go ah, you know man the world's <laughs> going to shit, you know and yeah, should we yeah. talk about politics or should we talk about you yeah. know trump or yeah you know, or should we yeah, just you know yeah. play pictionary and get on with it you know yeah uh, that's funny i've had i've had exactly the same thing that's the exact same thing
0: i haven't been doing that recently because because here you know i don't know i don't know where what it's like in the u.s so much but here the uh things have 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 sort of opened out and people are sort of getting on with their lives a bit more and we're not in that that sort you know that that boom of like zoom calls with your friends that happened a lot at the start and for some reason here it's not not a thing people are I think I mean up till recently people were able to go out and do stuff but I'm in London we're on a London tier 2 lockdown they've done things in tiers now so now you can't go to a uh you can't go to a pub or anything with yeah. friends you can only go with your own household and you know so everything's now starting to phew, shut down
1: again yeah. but rightly um, so
0: yeah exactly yeah right, so I'm 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 a I'm I'm glad you said it because you know the I'm 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 fully with you. It's I'm I want yeah. this to go away and I'm getting bored of the
1: anti-maskers and all that stuff and I Yeah. Yeah, and we are we're anti-mask central. I mean, not not where I live. We've been blessed with a fairly well-informed populace, but um I feel like, you know, the the red states as we call them are going to propel us forward for the next three years of, of this you know yeah uh,
0: anyway. Jesus you know this is the thing I actually recorded a, a podcast yesterday with somebody uh, a London based violinist actually and instantly we we started talking about politics and and it's like and, I, and then I started laughing and I was just like it's mental how easy you, we can how easy it is oh, we just can't help it now because like yeah. You know, we get on this call and it's like it's all about jazz violin, but instantly
1: really. <laughs> we're just like, you know, yeah. But jazz violin is life, man, and this is what life is giving us right now. I'm with you, or I'm something. You. I don't know. You can spin that.
0: Yeah. Some days it feels purposes. like it's life, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes it feels like it's not, but you know, um, it would be. No, thanks. Thanks for. Thanks for joining me. It would be interesting to hear from you, first of all, how you first started playing the violin, your inroad into music, and then I guess as well how you first started to find uh, the world of jazz violin or, or the, you know, get into playing
1: jazz on the violin. Um, how did I get into violin? I, um, no one in my family, to my knowledge, has ever played a string instrument before, um, although everyone in my family played piano to some degree hmm. uh, when i was growing up uh, my both my parents were sort of like you know, had former kids who took piano lessons um and uh didn't didn't pursue it beyond that but played played for pleasure so we had a little piano in the house and uh and my older brother you know they taught him piano from the same john thompson piano method books that they had used when they were kids and uh um, and so I was just kind of absorbing that. It was just a part of the, the fabric of, of home. And um, also notably, my dad's um, aunt uh, was, a, was a pianist who, who took it far enough to, to teach piano lessons um, as sort of her supplemental <coughs> income as a housewife. Um, and he took piano lessons from her. And and we always spent um, Christmas and, and major holidays at her house. She's a great cook. And, and we always had sing-alongs. And, and so somebody, like usually my dad would just play the piano. And so it was just, you know, it was kind of a musical family, but but um, not a professionally musical family. And they, my dad also had a, an uncle who who had been a, a professional jazz piano player. He was a stride guy. And, and uh, he died years before I was born, so I never got to hear him play. But um, I... I grew up with a kind of sense of what Uncle Harry could do because my dad would hear we would be out hearing musicians or whatever, and he would perk up when he heard just some turn of phrase or some technique or something that that some other pianist would do, and and he would say, "Oh, Uncle Harry used to do that," you know. So yeah. I would kind of just keep this catalog of, "Oh, okay, that that was in my family," but it was it was a very indirect um, relationship to me, and um, you know, so just piano was around, and my mother sang in the church choir and Mm. um and i you know went went to i accompanied her to to rehearsals to choir rehearsals you know for for simple childcare reasons you know i just sat in the back and listened to choir rehearsals every week and um and i saw some violin some kids like there was some on tv i saw a, a report about uh suzuki violin training and i saw this class of kids all playing you know bows in unison and Smiling and everything, um, looking happy doing it, and uh, and I, I just kind of attached myself to that, and I said, "Oh, I want to play violin." And so, you know, they, mm. my parents, got me a violin for Christmas when I was eight, um, started me on lessons, and uh, um, and I was I would already I was already kind of declaring my interest in music, and and my that same aunt, the piano teacher, I remember when I was seven, after I had played something on the piano for the family, she leaned down and looked in my eyes like like she was trying to bore into my soul. And she said, do you hear music in your head all the time? And I'd never thought about it before. I'm like, well, this is, this is very intense, you know? And I said, and I thought about it and I listened to what you know what was in my head. And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, I, I do hear music all the time. And she just kind of stood up and looked at my parents and said, he's going to be a musician. <laughs> she could just see it, you know? Um, I don't, so for whatever that's worth, you know, if you hear music in your head all the time, do something with it. So that's And I just sort of declared my interest in music. And, and when I chose the violin, then my parents said, okay, well, music's a tough profession. <laughs> so uh, we're going to give you all the support that we can possibly give you. And that will include um, finding, just taking, letting your violin take you wherever it will. And the violin, as we all know, all listeners to this podcast anyway, is extremely versatile and very well-traveled, instrument you can go almost anywhere in the world and find some regional style of fiddling or or you know gypsy music or jazz even or, or classical music obviously um and you know and the violin is your passport into that it's like being a bass player you know mm. better yeah that's interesting um yeah yeah so uh so you know they thought okay if he's going to be a violinist then he should be the most versatile and employable violinist that we can possibly raise and took me um Around and, and uh, we found folk music venues and you know uh, uh, fiddling fiddlers in different styles and uh, you know dance uh, geez uh, contra dance bands and and clogging competitions and you know, <laughs> even banjo conventions that I went to and just kind of sat in wherever I could and and pick things up and learn things by ear. And my dad had a had a a rudimentary understanding of um, music theory I mean he kind of had been taught the circle of fifths so he taught me the circle of fifths and um that was very useful when I started going to sit in with Dixieland bands um you know starting when I was about eleven um because the, a lot of those Dixieland tunes are just very very circle of fifths oriented it's like you know every tune is <laughs> is um is basically sweet Georgia brown you know yeah. it's like dominant seven yeah uh, to the next dominant 7 up to the next dominant the, that contiguous dominant thing and um so that that gave me a lot of what i needed to know just kind of the the diatonic uh triads and uh you know some some basic uh understanding of what what uh, tonic dominant and subdominant were and you know dominant chords and that kind of got me through several years of of faking it with you know with dixieland bands well through my teens um, you know, and then as I started doing that, then then, you know, and my dad had been a music fan growing up and, and had listened to Uncle Harry, so he was really into, interested in jazz and especially traditional jazz. And so um, you know, he had exposed me to uh you know, Stefan Grappelli and, and Django Reinhardt Records, the Hot Club of France records, from a pretty young age. And uh I was just mesmerized by that. I just couldn't believe, you know, he was like telling me, yeah, guys improvising, you know, he's just making that up. I just couldn't believe it, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that's a familiar story to a lot of us. Anybody listening to this record has, has experienced that. Holy crap, you know, I can't believe that all that mastery and all that, that fleet fingeredness is just, you know, flowing out of him like that. So although I was listening to Yasha Heifetz records and Itzhak Broman records <coughs> and all that kind of violent showpiece stuff, excuse you, um, Grappelli was the one that just boggled my mind the most. You know, I just thought, okay, I get it—the the classical thing. Like, you can practice that really, really hard and work it, work it up slowly or whatever. But to be able to just do that—that's something else. And that kind of became an un- unconscious goal. Like, okay, well, obviously, that's further down the path. You know, that's that's where I want to be headed to understand that. Um, so, anyway, that in a nutshell is, is mm. how I ended up uh, doing what I do. So I, I actually, you know, I remember.
0: My grandfather is a sort of trad player. Um, Mm. He plays clarinet, and I remember my grandfather teaching, like, showing me Django and the and and Grappelli. And I remember coming away. I think I was like fifteen, maybe. And I remember coming away from it, and I got the story like wrong. And I thought that Grappelli had three fingers and Django. (laughs) And I remember just being like, (laughs) I don't know what to do about this because, like, I really just, I'm never gonna. I don't get how that how this is working out. Like this, that's right. crazy, you know. But even then, I actually, you know, it's just interesting. There's a lot of people who it's like, you know, Grappelli. When they heard Grapelli, they were like, "Wow, okay, that's what I want to aim towards." And I remember actually myself hearing it, even even aside from the the mistake, thinking that he had three fingers. I actually remember listening to it and thinking, "I literally do not understand a thing of what is going on." And I remember, you know, I actually am looking at some it's transcriptions written down and being like, "I don't get it. I can't. I can't do it." I'm never going to be able to do it. And I think it took me a little bit of time to like even think about it. So is is that, does that ring true to you as in you, you heard it and you thought, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to do that now. I'm going to have to do that later.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it just, like I say, it just became an unconscious goal, like whether or not I'd even planned to be able to do that one day. I just thought, you know, uh, I'm curious enough about music to kind of just keep learning what I can learn and knowing that that, that peak is that is there on the horizon, you yeah. know, and that's the direction. If I want to keep growing and and rising, that's the direction I'm going in. Yeah, the peak that you never quite
0: feel like you make, you know. Yeah, you never the, yeah. the rainbow that you never you never get it to the end. Do you? <laughs> that's right. Did you go and study music somewhere at, at sort of a, a
1: university slash a conservatoire level? Did that happen? I did. Yeah, I, um, I um I studied. Uh, out of high school, I studied at the Cleveland Institute of Music, which is a fairly yes. respectable classical conservatory here in the states, uh, in Ohio, okay. and it was so you did class- less than a four-hour drive from uh, Detroit, where I grew up. And um, <coughs> and uh, I didn't—I never finished my degree there. I, I was uh, kind of too, first of all, undisciplined—that's on me—but um, uh, also too broad in my interests for for that school, which which was quite focused. I don't want to say narrow, but quite focused on on uh, producing, you know, top flight classical violinists um, who are ready to take orchestra auditions or or win chamber music competitions. Um, and that's two things that they excel at, and uh, and I was interested in those things, but I was also interested in all these other things. Like I had already seen Paris in a way, so I was already fiddling a lot and and playing jazz and composing and arranging and playing. A dozen other instruments just you know to to varying degrees of uh shittiness and um you know uh i just i was not going to stop pursuing those interests i couldn't couldn't turn that off but i couldn't also you know rise to the challenge that they were setting for me at the same time and and you know keep it all keep it all all those plates all those balls in the air um all those plates spinning was the (laughs) the other analogy i was going for so i i ended up uh Kind of leaving that place after a few years and, and uh, transferring to Berkeley College in Boston, which is cool. uh, perhaps even well more well known, um, and that uh, was a very good fit for me because it was much more sort of a choose your own adventure kind of place. And um, yeah. I could see that it would not be a good fit for everyone. You know, it's it's a so it's a very big um, pool to to uh, plunge into, and one could easily drown and get lost. Um, but for someone who's self-directed and uh, kind of knows, has some inner vision of where they want to, what they want to do and what their voice is, it's a great place because you can absorb influences from any number of different styles of music. There are just so many subgenres genres and, and uh, different cultures that you can kind of swim in and, and try out and then you know, uh, assimilate into your own thing. Um, and they encourage that. And there's there's no single stamp for for a berkeley graduate so it was nice and i, I spent a few years there as well I learned a lot mm. who were your teachers at berkeley um matt glazer was uh the one you know was sort of a big draw for me because i knew he you know i'm like wow there's this is school with a jazz violin teacher how about that that's far out and i had just met matt um I actually, I, I applied and, and uh, enrolled before even meeting Matt, but I, but I knew of him and, uh, and uh, then I met him a few months before going there. I went to the first uh, Mark O'Connor fiddle camp in 1994 um, and Matt was an instructor there. So we kind of got to know each other a little bit during that week. And uh, and then I was, you know, his student in the fall. Um, it was great.
0: Mm. Uh- is that where you met? So, because you played with the Turtle Island String Quartet for quite some time. You don't play with them anymore. No, no. Um, is that where you? Is that where you met them?
1: No, uh, none of them were. Uh, are you speaking of Berkeley? Yes. Or yeah, none of them were there. Um, although oh, okay. Matt um, was sort of there on the ground floor of the formation of that group. Um, yeah. And he he kind of kept in touch with them and. Uh, particularly with Daryl Anger, he, he and Daryl, I think, remain good friends. Um, and so, when I was at Berkeley and studying with Matt, um, you know, he and he and Daryl were just in touch regularly and, and having conversations. And so, Matt, I think, told told Daryl that he had this student that he was excited about. And um, so, when uh, a couple of years <coughs> into that, Daryl had decided to leave the group, um, uh, they. He called Matt and said, tell me more about this student of yours and can I get his number? (laughs) So kind of recruited me to audition that way. And I was getting started to get calls from the other three guys. And uh, can you send us a recording? Can you send us more recordings? We liked that one. Send us more. And now can you come out and audition for us in, in California? Cool.
0: Okay. And how was that then playing with those guys being part of that?
1: Um well it was a dream come true. I mean I had be, been a fan of theirs since their first record. You know I'd heard it on the radio and uh on you know Detroit Public Radio and and uh got the record when I was in high school. Um and it uh again it, it was it was a bit like seeing a new peak on the horizon. I I thought ah that's that's a direction that I didn't know I was going in but I'm now I'm now heading that way because I could hear um this beautiful fusion of elements and it, you know up to that point my my uh, musical upbringing had been very piecemeal and and um siloed you know um in a way that isn't really possible anymore or I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but um you know I was I knew bluegrass musicians who would let me play with them and I would go play with them and these were people and faces that I only saw in that crowd and then I knew people of this other genre and I would go play with them and I knew people of this other genre and none of those people knew each other or played together. So I felt like I was the, the like the single link between all of these different musical worlds or the chamber music program that I was in or what have you. Uh, nowadays, I think that's a much more common thing, um, particularly among the, the people that I know who go to fiddle camps and things like that. It's just like, yeah, yeah. you know, now I, I'm going to play you a Swedish tune and now I'm going to play you a Tommy Gerald tune or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was me, but more than 30 years ago, uh, and then when I heard Turtle Island, I thought, oh man, these guys are doing what I need to do. They're, they're fusing it all into a single voice and uh, it just really, really resonated with me. And, and I was interested in arranging and, and I was playing string quartet and, you know, was it was playing a little bit of jazz, but not as well as they, and fiddling and all of that stuff was just fused together. So I was a big mm. fan. And and then, uh, you know, it was dream come true when I auditioned for them and joined the group. And, um, and, uh, also, you know, at that point, it was um, a bit of disillusionment, as I think it was natural. You know, it's like I had been listening to all their records and just devouring the records. And what I yeah. knew about them was this perfect, you know, polished um, uh, commercial release kind of sound. You know, and then, then you get under the hood and you okay, okay now it's now they're people and, and we're we're just rehearsing in somebody's living room and you know, there's there are there are many stages in, in the development and you know, before it gets to that level. And I wasn't prepared for that and I probably should have been. You know, I should not have put them on the pedestal that I put them on. Mm. But it, there was a little bit of disillusionment there and uh um and also I had still a lot to learn. I mean I um I think um I was not musically mature enough or quite old enough to be the perfect in that perfect mix with those guys. I mean, I was 24 when they hired me and they were all between 14 and 20 years older than me. Okay. I, I wasn't, I was the first of kind of the, the younger, the younger generation guys to come up. Um, and, uh, so that, that had its, that has its difficulties. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I still, like, I didn't have, as nearly a solid enough groove to be able to be the drummer as, as one has to do in that band. And I didn't under quite understand what that role was. And it was a great education, but it took several years of doing that to really understand, to grow into my role in the group. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting what you say about the
0: whole, like when you're in your sort of early sort of just in your twenties, maybe your early to mid twenties, the, that, that, I mean, I, I, and, and any time before that as well, the, the pedestal that you put people on is yeah. is is crazy. And you don't right. realize that people are just people. And you're not right. able to see how small this world is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't mean the the world in general, but like the world of even just like improvised music, you know, right. even the world of like jazz, you know. And even mm-hmm. if we're looking at like Herbie Hancock or something, like even then, they're not that bigger deal (laughs) in the grand scheme of things and then you go and then you go a couple of rungs down and it's like yeah i mean no one is you know everyone's just rehearsing in their living rooms or just people you know and you it it takes a while to realize that
1: i find for sure yeah that that that's part of the maturity that that one gains you know as you you get older but you know and that was and now I, I see some of it too. Like I meet younger players who maybe know me from my records or something. Yeah. And, and I can see a, a certain look in their eyes, you know, and, and I, yeah. I recognize it because I was that person, you know, yeah. and I, I can, I feel like some of the, the yeah. hero worship coming at me and I just go, hey, and you're so wrong. About me. You got this wrong, dude. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: it's yeah. The, the, it's like, as, as you go along, the more people's like, living rooms you rehearse in and like the more people's like you know uh husbands or wives that you meet you know and you know oh hi oh you're
1: yeah. and, that and ex-wives and uh, all the all wife the, or you're the that dirtiest, person's husband you know, that comes yeah
0: and then you're like all right <laughs> you guys just like i don't know you just have food together and stuff don't you and that yeah. you just have a normal okay fair enough and you it takes a while <laughs> so you know what i want to i want to talk to you about is the that video you did A while ago where where you uh you where you you know you you took the bow and you you made the hair very very uh loose and then you played the you played the django improvisation number two you can you improvisation number two yeah yeah um how did you go about doing that Mm.
1: well um first of all you've no doubt seen the technique before probably have tried it yourself yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah so I mean i learned that te- technique um from a, a great swing fiddler named paul anastasio okay um who grew up in seattle he's a he's a, about 20 years older than me and uh he had the good fortune of of getting to know joe venuti um mm-hmm. toward the end of joe's life like in the in the mid 70s um and joe i don't know the full story there but i i as i understand it joe's um you know it's obviously as one one's does his career had kind of uh, petered out I mean he was um, he was elderly and uh, you know there was less and less of a market for swing jazz you know in the 1970s <coughs> yeah. Um and I think uh, Paul ended up um, living with Joe where Joe needed a place to live and, and they moved right. in together roommates for a while um, and uh, Paul still um, he was kind of joe's last friend and 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 student and so joe taught him things they would have lessons and things and um and i met paul at a at a camp at a a camp where he was teaching swing fiddle um in the early 90s and uh and he taught me the the trick and he also i mean paul's a paul's a hilarious guy and, and he he inherited a bunch of joe's personal effects and he still has like Joe's ties, like a full collection of Joe Venuti's ties and old suits and stuff that he that he trots out and gifts to people now and then, you know, for <laughs> who deserve it, who he feels deserves <laughs> it. So anyway, he, he taught me the the technique and showed me the, the all important thing of once you've wrapped the hair over the over the fiddle, twist the stick to that until it's upright so that you don't, you know, by, by exerting pressure pull the hair out of the tip know useful stuff like that um well, I, and so I've i have literally
0: I, just learned something
1: myself didn't. there you go I, and you yeah, know there's a good testimonial <laughs> to about your podcast right there yeah even the host learned something um right. it's, uh, it's, yeah if definitely. you if you uh <laughs> if you keep the stick you know facing up upwards and the then the, the hair will just pull out and you or you could break the tip so don't okay. do that anyone but um that, so i had dabbled with the technique for a while and and uh I could do it, but but the uh, the real trick is in the left hand because what that does is obligates you to now just address at least three strings, if not four strings, at once, Um, and that's really the hard part. You know, just doing the trick with the bow—that's the eye-popping thing. But still, you know, I'll I'll do it once in a while on stage and just improvise a little chord solo, and you know, non-musicians in the audience or even non-string players will come up to me after and say that was that was weird what you did. Why did you do that? I I noticed it sounded different, but why did you do that? They just can't quite understand that it's the the chord thing. Yeah. Um, And I try to explain to them, were you watching my left hand? Because that's where the real action is, man. Yeah. Um, And it's really, you know, I I think of it as as Joe Venuti's attempt to be Eddie Lang. You know, it's just like the chord melody thing. Yeah, chord melody. And I still have not developed my ability to to do that quickly to to my Mm. own satisfaction. But I... It always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to explore that technique more. Yeah, and I was planning a a solo album and uh, wanted to do something, you know, attention-getting. And I thought, okay, I've seen people doing doing this, and there are a lot of fiddlers who can kind of do mm. what Joe did. And and Joe's use and Joe's kind of vocabulary of of uh, chord voicings is fairly limited, too. I mean, he he did it as you know better than anyone but um or better than, than anyone before him but he basically played in c major and he had like three c major voicings and like a couple other voicings and he had some okay. uh some little uh idioms that he, that he repeated a lot and yeah. and yeah. did it well but but you would never see him you know modulate up a half step everybody like that was not in joe's bag of tricks so i knew that that it needed to be developed further and also i noticed that the thing had only ever been used for um, for kind of uh, hokum, you know, just kind of uh, entertainment value. And I thought, yeah. I love chords make for one sense. thing, Yeah, love chords. And I want to be able to play chords. And I've always loved <clears throat> solo Bach and, and just focusing on that. Whenever I'm, whenever I was studying classical violin, I never wanted to play concertos. I just wanted to work on Bach. And, um, and so I just uh, wanted to be able to play more, more, Harmonically interesting shit on the violin, and so this this I thought, okay, I'm gonna do something beautiful and and more adventurously, harmonically adventurous on, on uh, you know using that technique. So that just led me to the to that Django piece. I can't remember the exact moment, but I thought, ah, people are gonna notice this if I can do it yeah. well. <laughs> well. You did.
0: I yeah. noticed it, man. It sounds it sounds amazing. If anyone hasn't Thank checked you. it out, just you gotta just Google, I guess Evan Price's name with improvisation number two and check it out. It's really good. Um, it might even be at the start of this podcast. I don't know, I haven't decided. So, hmm. uh, But um, as someone who's, you know, you play, you know, you as you said, you've played a lot of styles and you've been interested in a lot of styles, not just sort of half played them. You've probably, it seems like you've gone quite far into uh, quite a lot of styles of, of fiddle or violin playing. Um, Have you ever struggled with, you know, that feeling of there being too much going on in your head in terms of, uh, the different styles you're interested in? Have you ever struggled with, uh, finding your, your, your one direction or your, your direction, so to speak?
1: Well, yeah, um, all along uh, I've had, and I'm still struggling with kind of a crisis of identity, um. It's one thing to, to look at a musician that you admire, let's say, and, and see or be able to hear a multitude of, of influences or hopefully not hear them and just hear that, that individual's voice. Um, and maybe if you start to parse it, you can say, okay, that's a little bit sound, that reminds me of Debussy right there or this reminds me of Miles Davis or whatever. Um, um, but to be that person... Um, I'm finding out, I'd always kind of taken for granted that these people just knew what they were doing, they knew what they liked, they knew what they didn't like, and they just had this voice inside of them that that needed to come out. Um, my experience has not been that. My experience has been, I like this, I like that, I like this. Um, and I feel like my pursuit has been, I want to get as good as possible at this and at that and at that. Um, and always a struggle to feel or be seen as legitimate in, in any of those areas. And I think that's a very worthwhile pursuit, but the the downside of it is um, that you can neglect that that fusion of, of your own voice inside you and and you can start and and I and I have been plagued with self-doubt, like just thinking, I don't have my own voice. I just what I have is, you know, a passing ability to to play Scottish fiddling or, or to play Dixieland or whatever you know, I, I can get by in a half a dozen places, um, and I'm still you know I still feel like I'm waiting to to find out what my voice is going to be, like or I, like I have to go out of my way to to um, to devise something like that you know to to create something, and not realizing that that was happening already you know the the, the part of me that that I've have been discounting the the part of me that when I go into that Scottish group or when I go into the Dixieland group or what have you, that sounds other to them, that sounds inauthentic to them, is the part that's me, you know, mm-hmm. and that's and maybe even people in those places see value in whether where where I don't, you know. I mean, it's mm. it's a, you have to do this whole turnabout in your head of of realizing that. Just because it doesn't sound exactly authentically to them, or or authentically authentically that, yeah. it's not a bad thing. It's it's authentically you, and it's it's you're showing the influence of having been to these other places, you know. And there's there's something mm. interesting there. Uh, you may never be like the world's most valued most valued you know Scottish fiddler. Um, because people who are looking and looking for Scottish fiddlers are not going to be looking to you, but they might look to you for something else to to be the greatest you. Um, and it's it's been a really interesting journey and a, and a kind of a painful journey to to be able to accept that you know and to, to be able to recognize that I have that I have a you know a native voice of my own that's that's valuable.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I asked that I've I haven't heard your 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 work in. Scottish fiddle or anything like that. But I, I hear you're working jazz, and I would definitely say you've got a unique, you know, a, a, a voice. I would listen. I'd think I know who that is. I, I can definitely hear a unique voice. Um, but I, you know, anyway, but hearing you talk about the different styles that you're into, you know, I'm I'm quite similar myself. So I just mm-hmm. wondered if you had that same thing that I do. You know, I, I get that, and I think a lot of people do, and I think it's a thing now, right? musicians now the internet we can just you can just check out you can just check out anything you want and you can get really into anything you want like it's yes. so easy to do it um mm. and everybody is is a lot more eclectic but i think that if you do get into lots of different things and then but you know you look to your heroes in all of those places and yeah. often they are people who stuck to one thing and you go, Oh, right. Okay. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe that's what, that's what you're supposed to do, but it's hard to have that, that, you know, you have to look at it and think, well, we're a different time and
1: people are, yeah, things are changing, right? Music's changing. And, you know, to add to that, that's not always the case. I mean, I think we tend to put those, people on pedestals and, and to, um, compartmentalize them as well. Like I, yeah. Um, I remember, you know, I got to, to meet, um, Alistair Fraser in about 1993 or four, who's someone who's been put on the pedestal as, you know, Mr. Scottish fiddle, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and he's a lovely guy as, as a a mutual friend of ours said, Alistair's everyone's best friend. Um, and, uh, and he he appreciates me for for you know what I do and and uh, and but you know when I I think what one of the things he appreciates me is that he can hear where I'm not authentically or, or uh, limited to the one thing and he and he likes that and he admires that because he feels like he wishes he could grow beyond and you know but his influences are not just that I mean we we tend to think put a label on him or, or compartmentalize him. Uh, pigeonhole is the word I'm looking for pigeonhole him. And, but here's a guy who, you know, studied classical violin and, and loves Stefan Grappelli and, and loves Turtle Island and, and many other things, you know, um, and has dabbled around in doing a lot of different things, you know, but, uh, I think it's more the public perception that, that tends to, uh, pigeonhole people.
0: Um, what I really enjoyed, I think it was in the summertime, I saw you doing a masterclass mm. where on, on Zoom or something, I can't remember. I just remember someone, someone I know, uh, someone actually who I teach was like, oh, Evan Price is doing a, a, a thing. I was like, oh, cool, I'll check that out. And it was you, mm. you were on Zoom and yeah. you, but you were uh, critiquing, oh, it sounds negative, but you were giving uh, advice to uh, someone playing jazz but yeah. they were in the other side of the world. I think they were in London, actually. He sounded like he was from London. Um, and I thought that was really great because what, what I've really enjoyed is seeing how people do try to utilize uh, the current uh, technology uh, in a different way. And I felt like that was utilizing the current te- technology in a completely different way. It wasn't, you weren't trying to pretend that you were, doing a one-on-one lesson with them it was i had never seen anybody do a a master class where you're where someone plays for you or what someone plays for the teacher and the teacher then in front of an audience a a zoom audience um gives 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 feedback i thought it was really great and i I really enjoyed watching it
1: thanks well i I was uh, happy to be thanks for tuning in and i was uh happy to be invited to do that 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 was uh an ongoing project, actually, by uh, an old classmate of mine from Cleveland, um, a lady named Cecily Ward, who is on the faculty of the Royal Northern um, College. And, uh, yeah, Manchester. great violinist. And, and uh, we were neighbors here in the San Francisco area for many years, and now she lives in North London and started okay. this uh, really big violin class, she calls it. So check <laughs> it out. And there are ongoing, now. now she's expanded to not just violin masterclasses. She had uh, a s- whole series of them throughout the summer, with uh, <clears throat> violinists of various stripes. And now she has uh, string quartet coachings as part of it as well. So it's, it's, cool. yeah, and it's a, it's a format that works. And and uh, her husband Mark um, is a is a very very highly respected and accomplished audio engineer, mm. um, and uh, and so he's helped out with a lot of the technical aspects and using original sound on zoom and and going through the audio settings so that they're optimized. And also I think having the idea of having the students pre-record their performances so that we can hear, you know, uncompressed audio uh, and comment on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted to remark on that. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Uh, It'd be interesting to, to just know how you dealt with the, you know, the, the, the whole COVID nineteen thing when it first came out and how you've been doing, how you've been keeping yourself sane, <laughs> etc. Like that.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a, it's an ongoing challenge. The sanity, um, as ever, um, I've you know I'm luckier than a lot of people who I think I I, I feel bad for for single folks who live by themselves um, because that's that's a much greater sanity challenge i i expect i I live with my wife and daughter and you know we at least have each other to hug every day and and you know interact with you know in person every day and go maskless in our house and things like that and that's that's a huge help and uh what also has helped is is um setting up a a schedule for ourselves you know just even when when we didn't have school i mean we we had already been homeschooling our daughter but uh you know having a having a set time for this for for dinner and then having family time after that and this you know having a strict schedule has really helped us kind of stay sane musically um it's been a bit of a challenge like a lot of bands and I'm I'm a member of the Hot Club of San Francisco and have been for 22 years now um you know we we had the idea early on to to make shelter in place videos and uh, do do some layered video editing and so i was involved have been involved am still involved in in producing that kind of stuff and um you know mixing the audio and getting uh getting well acquainted with iMovie and putting out you know we've put out four or five of those over the course of the summer it's a very tedious uh way to make music um as anyone knows who's tried it you know it's it's for that for that brief three minute thrill you know you can you can spend a month just getting everything all set up and mixed and everything but you know i, I am agree. a polisher i love i do love kind of the the niggling details of things and and uh, and i do like the editing and and all of that and making things making a perfectly polished or as well as well as i can polished uh, final product it's just something that just kind of appeals to my my virgo sensibilities or so untold
0: you know what's interesting though is that you you're you're in the sticking with iMovie camp because yeah, you know if you're if you're like super like you know if you're su- if you like to really delve in then you're you know there's two camps I think there's the people who are like right what's on my laptop and that's that's me I was like all right, iMovie I'm going to tr- sort of try I'm going to do the best I can with iMovie and mm-hmm. then there's the people who are like I'm di- I'm downloading Final Cut Pro and right. I just couldn't quite be one of those people
1: yeah although don't give me too much credit because you know what i just bought final cut a week ago ah and i'm still awaiting its delivery but i'm i read it. I'm, I'm i'm kind of a lot in that yeah and i'm kind of conservative you know and, and stingy so i'm like 200 bucks forget it you know 300 bucks whatever it was and uh, i'm like ah, psh, i can do it with iMovie you know and it, it took me six months of struggling with that and struggling with the with the uh, audio drift and, and video drift and all the Oh, all the the uh, headaches a, it's a, it's of that to flip. realize that it was probably worth it six months ago to have spent the 200 bucks and i could have saved myself 50 hours of editing probably yeah but i knew what i knew i'd already used iMovie so i kind of just yeah. went with it
0: yeah okay so you've taken taken the plunge yeah i if i had a bigger laptop i would i would do the same if I, mm-hmm. if, but, yeah um okay and how, you, how are you doing in, general? As in I'm I'm really realizing as a musician in in this time. Like when we first went into lockdown, I you know, I don't want to be uh to sound uh selfish, uh, but I was actually quite happy. As in not happy. I had definitely I definitely, you know, I say that it's hard to put myself into those shoes, but I do remember I do remember like a couple of weeks of like just like whoa, I like being really stressed and reading the news, I wasn't happy happy but I was happy with like the they're the just like all right well I'm just going to practice like that's great I can just I can just practice and I don't know what, and I don't have anybody to tell me well I can't think oh well oh, I've not got any gigs cuz like oh, I, I made a mistake or you know I should have done this or I should have looked for gigs right. There, it was all gone like I didn't care no yeah. there, the uh the the stresses of being a self-employed person is you know you're going to make the stuff happen yourself a lot of the right. time and that was just you know and that can be stressful you know having mm-hmm. to make things happen all the time and suddenly it was like you don't have to make anything happen you can't so i was yeah. that was great i enjoyed that practice but, and i don't know if i'm I mean, i'm going off on one but what did happen and but what i did realize is like okay this is cool but i do realize that we are this is not going to be forever but what is going to be a long time is this this disease is going to stay here a long time, and it's this point that I was never looking forward to, and I'm definitely you know I don't like this point, I don't like it at all. I wonder, do you do you feel the same?
1: Yeah, very much. Um, I, yeah, I I get the uh, that liberating feeling of of not having to hustle as much, and and it, it was a very interesting social experiment, and I, I use the word was because yeah, experiment's over, we know we know <laughs> what happens. Let's just get on with it. But um, yeah, pretty early on for the first couple of months, I thought this is great, you know, and this is, you know, as long as we can be guaranteed a basic income and not to get too political here, but, you know, I think um, the arguments against uh, against minimum wage and, and uh, like universal income and, and social programs, um, which is raging, you know, in the United States right now, and yeah. um, so-called socialism, the arg- argument against it is, well, it disincentivizes, it disincentivizes work. You know, if, you, if people are just going to be paid anyway, why would they get off their asses and work? But what I found um, is my, for myself and my, and my friends, my, my musician friends, you know what? When we were relieved of the stress of having to hustle and go and you know, make a buck and, and play gigs, we made art. We we worked anyway, you know, because that's what we do. That's what we want. Every to day, do. yeah. Every day. And we and we <laughs> improved. Many of us improved our, you know, our level of art. Like you, you have time to practice. You have time to create something and, and not feel like oh, I gotta go take this crappy gig, you know, and make a hundred bucks so that I can pay rent. Without that, maybe maybe we have, you know, overall as a society, maybe we have better art. You know, just throwing that out there. So if anybody mm. from the American Congress is listening to this, which is very unlikely, just keep it in mind. Hey, man,
0: don't say that. <laughs>
1: no, Even I... snip that out. It is
0: 100% unlikely, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is... It's a small but select uh, group of people around the world who like jazz violin. And, and, yeah. and I think a good proportion of them they listen to this podcast. Nice. Um, yeah, man, I... I, I I agree. I I didn't stop playing the violin. Yeah. I played the violin more actually than I, than I than I did when when I was uh, when when we had gigs. But yeah, I for for me, yeah, that that moment that, that sort of those first three months was was lovely. I think f- what I don't find enjoyable now is the is the middle point. And I guess I don't know. Again, I'm not as up on how it's going in America, but in the UK and Europe. We sort of opened up, and everyone's like, "Oh, cool, we're out." And people are going back out to the pubs, and people are going out to restaurants. There's no clubs or anything, so young people aren't going to clubs, but people yeah. are getting about their day-to-day life. There are some gigs; some of them are exi- popping up. Boom, gig up there, gig here, but yeah. not many. And but you know, Pete and 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 I don't have any of them. I have one or two have have appeared and then disappeared, <laughs> right. and and I know everybody is feeling exactly the same as yeah. me. It's see, seeing the little gig, oh, it's a gig, and I don't have that gig, you know, oh, you know, I wish mm. I had that gig. Oh, yeah. should I be doing the tip jar thing, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's feeling like that, I know that, but it's. Uh, I think this is a difficult time for us, and it, I really don't know what the solution is other than, like, basically turning our computers off. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. What it what,
1: yeah. what do you, how do you do you, be- do you, do you get that? Yeah. At the conclusion of this podcast, we encourage you to t- turn off your computers. <laughs> um, yeah. Turn it on yeah. again for the next episode. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the the ineffable questions of our age. Yeah. Um, I don't f and I have no f and idea. In other words, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The the uh, incentive to to create art is is somewhat waning. You know, without because you know we're all we, i think we're all just kind of feeling like great you know this gives me a chance to take a break and then we have this these preconceptions of what that what the uh, the parameters of that break might be and when we come out of this i'm going to have <clears throat> this piece learned or i'm going to have this new skill that i can present to the world but in the end it's all about presenting your art and sharing it you know and if without that without that incentive to share that's where that's where uh, gets a little bit despairing but um yeah yeah i mean i I, yeah. I had a project you know i i was lucky to have a commission to write a piece for string quartet early in the summer and um <clears throat> and i put everything i had into it and it was a i only had like a five-week deadline or something to create 10 minutes of original music which is uh, a very uh intense soul-searching exercise for me and um i did it and i after that i i uh Recorded a demo because I had lots of time not playing gigs and, and uh, polished this this demo as you know to its uh, to a mirror gloss and uh, and now I'm enjoying kind of just sharing little bits and pieces of that with with friends just sending out hey hey friend in a string quartet would you mind taking a listen to this you know and sending it out and just kind of seeding things with with that and it's I get as much of a thrill you know having 10 people listen to my piece as I would, you know, playing for an audience of a thousand, if it's 10 people that I, that I respect and, you know, 10 people who write me back and say, oh man, this was beautiful. You know, <laughs> there's there, the economics of that are, are another story, but um, it, there it, it is. I, I, I think it does point to the fact that as artists, part of the puzzle is just the need to create. And part of the puzzle is the need for that creation to be received by somebody. So we just have to keep yes. keep figuring out how to do that. This whole thing gives you a lot of time to think
0: about everything, a lot more. But you know what I did realize is like you know practicing a lot and 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 creating videos blah blah recording things. It's 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 just it's a completely different mindset to to playing a, a gig. Even the recording of a jazz performance it's like it switches I, for me it switches my brain you know to a different thing i can't uh, I, f- I find it different as soon as i'm you know when the summer we would go out and play in the park and as soon as there's someone watching you play it's completely like i change completely yeah. completely and i realized that and it and it's it's like quite it's a and I think it is just like what you said. It's like you get this feeling that you're that someone's receiving your art, mm-hmm. someone's receiving what you're what you're putting out, and and you don't get that feeling when you're recording into a mic. You get yeah. oh my god, like this has got to go well. You know, right. it's hard to. There's a disconnect between mm-hmm. you and the audience. Like the audience is going to receive your art, but you're not. That feeling isn't happening. Right. That feeling of you giving it is not happening in that moment the give the feeling is when you like you said it's when you send it to somebody mm-hmm. that's like ah oh, i've give you know and you and someone listens and they tell you they like it i guess that's the feeling right so yeah
1: yeah is and it, it, when you uh, get those I don't 10 have any likes answers. on facebook yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah i totally play differently when i have an audience you know and i can kind of focus on i don't know if you do this mental trick of of uh, some and it and it's conscious or unconscious but sometimes i will focus on one person in the audience and play to that person mm. um and it's mm. advice i've i've heard uh kicked around but but it's just something that i naturally do um and sometimes for better or for worse i mean if there's someone that i respect and and fear a little bit then i can't help but focus on that person and that can totally yeah. freak me out you know if, if my yeah. wife is in the audience because she doesn't come to all my gigs you know so if she's there you know then maybe twice a year or something then i she's the only person in the audience that i'm thinking about you know and it makes mm. me probably play differently yeah. um, you know and different people have different uh audience members that they might focus on you know if your teacher is in the audience oh my god you know yeah. <laughs> like, or you know if there's a cute girl in the third row you know <laughs> then you might play to her you know yeah. uh, there are there are ways i think uh I, I could probably get better at this there are ways to sort of Uh, manage that to kind of manipulate that for your own benefit like who who, what what how what kind of or what version of my place of myself do i want to be today what you know um if i focus on that person how will Mm. i play versus if i focus on this other person how will that change you know and sometimes it's a choice and sometimes it's not you know if you sometimes that there's that one person that you just can't ignore um and that can totally uh you know upset the apple cart but you know if if all things being equal sometimes i've i have experimented with focusing on different people well
0: sometime 2027 i might try and do that <laughs> Yeah. you know
1: yeah, yeah. maybe sooner um, maybe
0: sooner maybe you know no i'm i'm being a it's a it's it's in my blood i'm from the north of england we like mm-hmm. to uh, complain catastrophize but we're always doing it for fun we're not i'm not uh, I'm not really having the worst time. And uh, I I do have a positive outlook in general about this whole thing. I'm, I'm, I am happy that people are sticking to what we're supposed to be doing. I'm happy to see people just wearing the mask and not freaking out and just getting down to it and, and trying to get rid of this because we're all so bored, right? We're super yeah. bored of this. It's not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. it's not funny Um, to wrap it up do you uh, do you have do you have anything that you're uh, that you're working on at the moment that's that's uh, making you excited making you know giving you that
1: feeling Um, I'm about to embark on um, a a quarantine CD project with some some buddies of mine I mean all remotely recorded but we're going to try to do a whole album Mm. uh, with uh, Greg Ruby on guitar Okay. A gypsy jazz guy and uh, a wonderful uh, jazz mandolinist from Chicago named Don Stearnberg. Okay. He's a, a protege of Jethro Burns, and and ah. uh, two of us guys have had the good fortune of, of uh, hanging out and playing together. I've played on a couple of Greg's albums over the years, and uh, we've we've formed various quartets with uh, with the with other bass players um, at the camp at a camp that we get to teach at regularly called the Swannanoa Gathering. Which we would all have seen each other at this past summer, had it not been canceled and postponed. But we're looking forward to reuniting in June and uh, and uh, and having an having an album to to show for for the time off. And, and we'll be playing with a great bass player who who uh, te- also teaches at the camp named Kevin Kerberg. Anyway, so we're going to be mixing that up hopefully in the next or starting to play together in the next week or so. Nice. And when I say together, of course, I mean you know and staggered staggered fits and spurts so you do, what are you
0: doing you're not doing it fully from isolation you're doing no, it fully little, in little isolation bits. yeah oh okay, so, it is okay it is right yeah. okay wow okay yeah. so how you know how, how how are you going about sort of do i mean i know everyone's doing it at the moment but how yeah. are you going about if this is a sort of how are you going about doing that you meet you, you're chatting about what you want to happen yeah. Or is one person putting, putting their thing down and saying,
1: this is what's happening? Or is it. Is it... Well, it remains to be seen. I think we're, the idea is that it's a collaborative project so that there won't be any one person who's just dictating terms of arrangements. Um, and there will be, um, you know, we've each committed to maybe suggesting two standard tunes and then composing a tune. So, you know, we're looking at about a 12 tune set that way. Um, and, uh, you know, if, and I think we'll, we'll be sharing the duties of, of arrangements as well. So we'll each, each probably put together three arrangements and, and kind of produce the tracks. I'll be doing the, re- I'll be doing the, the mixing and editing, um, myself, but, uh, of course we each have to record ourselves and, <coughs> you know, uh, it's, uh, it's mainly going to be, I mean, I think it'll, it'll entirely be you know music of a steady tempo even if it's not mm. all swing swing music so you know we have a rhythm guitar player greg who will probably be laying down his tracks first mm. uh, in most cases and uh and then we'll be overdubbing to that and then greg said maybe he would go back and redo and his it. you know just to to kind of make the whole thing gel um yeah, yeah. hey you know i um, i've got two just two quick points
0: mm-hmm. um do you know Christian van Hemert? Yeah, violinist. He mm-hmm. had this way of 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 making it feel a lot more. Uh, he he was saying to me that he had this way of making it feel a lot more uh, natural, doing mm-hmm. this whole thing by setting a metronome. This is not something that I've ever tried. Setting a metronome to speed up at certain points and slow down, just lit, like a really small amount. <laughs> I wonder. Like I was, I was thinking of trying that if I was going to do anything. I would, I would, I, I would, I was thinking that I would do that because it does sound interesting. Because you always do speed up and slow down, and it gives that feeling of like intensity, you know. Okay. So know. my
1: question, if if Christian were here right now, I would say, is this going to be random spurts of energy, or are you just designing this? Is he is he like designing a track? You know. I guess he's pro, pre-programmed. You know. I think I mean,
0: he's designed. I guess he's not doing, you know what, he's not doing it with um, jazz. He was doing it with something a lot more arranged. Oh, so those tango things.
1: P- yeah, he had those, those wonderful tango videos with him playing bandoneon, the
0: jerk. So that's, I think, some of those things. And then some of the like, it's sort of like jazzy, but it wasn't uh, improvised music. Yeah. And I think it was, it was was it's around that. So maybe it makes more sense. It's like at the point where everyone would obviously usually be getting excited, he'll yeah. take the tempo up a little bit. When it starts to chill, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Could try um, that. Yeah, the other thing, just uh, when uh, uh, it just came to me when we were talking about the um, Giovanuti technique, mm-hmm. is have you seen Charlie McCarthy's bow? Have you heard of it? Uh, so Charlie yeah. McCarthy is a guy in Oz. He's a violinist, and he he sort of he's not a luthier but he sort of went to a luthier with this idea of a bow and it's bent like that oh, so yeah. it's bent over like that but it's also got it's it's got um so the, the stick's bent and it's got the it's got like a latch on it so it can either be fully taut, the the hair can be fully taut, or yeah. it can just go poof, and turn into not you know into into what you would Need to do that Giovanucci right. saying It looks really interesting because you can basically go between playing a little bit of did it and then
1: go into to play.
0: Yeah. That That's a cool cinema. idea.
1: I haven't heard about the last thing. Although I've seen people do, I've seen videos of people using what they're calling Bach bows. You know, with, with yes hyper arched. You know, more it looks more like an archer's bow. Um, yeah, but I haven't. And and I, I think they can kind of manipulate the tension with their just with their thumbs, you know. Yes. Kind of yeah, that has been. Thing. A I guess this is just. Yeah, yeah. I guess this
0: is just a, a slight alteration on that. So yeah. Yeah, okay. and
1: a, a guy I know sent me a a link to some bow maker who's who's made a, a bow with two ribbons of hair paralleled with just about a, a very narrow gap, just like a few millimeters gap between them. So you can thread that between <laughs> the, the strings. And I don't know, I like the, like the top, Oh right! not really show how it worked, but the, like the top ribbon maybe contacts the A and D strings and the bottom ribbon contacts the E and G or something. So that you just kind of keep going as long as you keep going in a steady, in a steady Have line. Have you tried it? No, I'm not you interested. He sent you the bow? Oh, he sent you like a picture? <laughs> he sent me no, pictures that sounds, and was like, yeah. Sounds a bit much it sounds a bit much yeah, yeah. And, and he he said well i said no thanks man I, i'm not interested and he said why not i thought this was right up your alley because of that video you did you know and i had to explain to him at, at length that you know what makes you know, if i may what makes my thing cool is that it's an ordinary bow you know once i once i start using tricks yeah people big go, old oh yeah big well, old he, thing yeah yeah, yeah well he, he spent two grand on a on a bow and that's how he can do it you know but i want that's people true to go, actually I want people to go, crap, he can do that with his bow. Why can't I do it with mine? <laughs> That's true. That's a yeah, very good no point. No tricks. This is an ordinary, you know, household, ordinary household violin. Household you know. violin bow. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that, actually. That's so true. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I, people put will just uh, quite easily just, they'll go, all right, he bought a thing. Fair enough. Well, they, yeah, they'll write it off and when and really the focus is as i said it's on the left hand you know can you play the chords in tune or can't you you know yeah yeah anyway
0: it's been nice to chat to you man you as well um i hope you have a good rest of the day i it's darker here it's light it's it's later here so yeah i i'll be i'll be going to bed soon but um nice to chat and uh hope to meet you in person
1: someday likewise likewise keep the uh Um, keep the playing going i'll be looking for your uh quarantine videos uh, yeah i'll be looking at yours
0: see if the see if the tempo fluctuates or not <laughs> yeah you clock
1: it and let me know
0: well thanks for listening to the jazz violin podcast you were listening to evan price and as always myself matt holborn and as always we were talking about jazz violin and as always if you would like to support the podcast you can do so via patreon which is www patreon.com forward slash matt holborn you can help out the podcast on there by giving a regular small donation if you want to you can also get involved in my jazz violin practice club there that's the thing we practice together over zoom i give you something to practice something that will get you a little bit better at playing jazz Uh, we do it weekly and we practice together anyhow thanks for listening and uh hope you guys are all doing well speak to you very soon bye